Welcome back to the 37th episode of Closer Mentality. I'm your host, Julia Millett. Today, I brought on sports psychologist Katie Schaefer. Although growing up, her life already felt as though it revolved around sports, it wasn't until an internship during her undergraduate degree that Schaefer realized that she wanted to make her passion a career. She was actively pursuing dual degrees in psychology and history, but wanted an athletics emphasis to her work experience. The summer after her freshman year at St. Mary's College in Notre Dame, Indiana, Schaefer began working with the West Virginia Black Bears, then the short-season single-A affiliate of the Pittsburgh Pirates. This internship, managing the team's store and brand merchandising, allowed her to be in the atmosphere while she figured out exactly what sector of the sports industry she wanted to pursue. So while I was at St. Mary's, so St. Mary's is a um, very small liberal arts college, and so the majors are very kind of like, I don't want to say bare minimum, but like we have the basics and we don't really have anything like out of the ordinary. So at WVU, there's like a sports psychology major, but at St. Mary's, it's just psychology and you kind of like make it work where you want to. Um, so for a couple years, I kind of was just like researching sports psychology, kind of focusing on school and then i added on the history major i specifically went into women's history um just because it was something that always interested me and kind of along the way found ways that psychology and women's history like really mesh together and that was really fun for me and i think it was my sophomore junior year i started working for the notre dame football team and that was like kind of like my next job that was very like sport specific, sport related. And um, I really think the Black Bears job really helped me get that one. So that was fun for me. Schaefer knew that she wanted to work in sports, but that the general degree path that St. Mary's had given her wouldn't place her on the path she wanted. It was then that she decided to attend Springfield College for a master's degree in athletic counseling. She attributes Dr. Jonathan Fader whose sports psychology work includes stints with the New York Mets and Giants, as well as the FDNY, with help in carve her path. So he, he's a sports psychologist. He believe, I believe he worked for the Mets, and I read his book at the time. I was a senior in college at St. Mary's, and I was reading his book. I thought it was so interesting, and I had reached out to him via email on his website, and I'm assuming he gets a lot of emails because he didn't reply to the first one. So I was like, that's okay. Like, that's fine. And he had a TED talk and he, in his TED talk, freestyle rapped. He was kind of talking about pressure and anxiety and he freestyle rapped during his TED talk. And I was like, I really want to talk to this man. I really need to figure out a way that I can get to talk to him. So I wrote a rap and I sent it to him. It was basically within it, like, this is what I want to do. Like, I want to do what you do. I would love to talk to you. I want to pick your brain a little bit but like in a wrap and I sent it to him and then I got a reply. So I was very excited and I didn't get a reply specifically from him, but it was from his assistant, I believe. And he was like, we loved your wrap, like would love to talk to you. So kind of, we started this email relationship and I was like, I really want to go to grad school. I want to get my master's. Do you have any recommendations of places I should go? And he gave me like the usual, schools that I had already known about. WVU was certainly on the list, 
Um, and then Springfield College was on there. And I was like, never even heard of Springfield College. Like, what is this place? So I kind of researched it. And Springfield offers sports psychology as well as athletic counseling, which on the surface level are incredibly similar. The question is all the time, like, what is the difference between these two things? And that was something for me that I had to figure out. I was like, oh, which one do I, I want to apply to? So I chose athletic counseling because it was really, it's the only athletic counseling program in the country. And it really takes a more holistic, whole athlete approach to sports psychology. Whereas I would say the sports psychology program is very much focused on performance exclusively. Whereas athletic counseling is, I absolutely care about your performance. I want you to do, I want you to perform the best that you can, but also acknowledging that there's so many other parts of the athlete that goes into that performance. For me, I'm very passionate about mental health. And I just felt as though there was a really big emphasis on that in the athletic counseling program. And not that there wasn't in sports psychology, but just the idea of in the athletic counseling program, I took a lot of counseling classes. So I was in classes with clinical mental health counselors, rehab counselors. Um, so having that counseling background was really appealing to me because I think you do so much of that in sports psychology, whereas traditional sports psychology programs don't give you as much counseling work as this program did. Schaefer gave Springfield College a try, and it changed her entire viewpoint. While in the two-year program, she was immediately put to work with the school's 24 varsity teams. She was crafting group seminars and workshops with the football, wrestling, men's golf, men's gymnastics, and softball teams. Schaefer says that on a 50-person roster, she works with approximately six of those athletes. The rest are assigned to a variety of her peers. Working with almost exclusively men's sports forced her out of her comfort zone, though. It was it was very different experience for me. I went from St. Mary's, which was a women's college, so being around women all the time, to at Springfield working mainly with men's teams, where I was kind of, for a moment, out of my element. I was like, I don't know how these I'm going to relate to these guys. Like, I don't know how they're going to approach me, how they're going to perceive me. Um, especially in like the more traditionally like tougher sports like wrestling and football. Um, but I found it to be so rewarding and really pushed me out of my element in those spaces because I haven't been around those kinds of environments. So figuring out, okay, how do I approach this? How do I make me seem like a comfortable person to come to in this environment? Because that's really most of what athletic counseling is, is trying to make the athletes feel really comfortable around you, feel like they can come to you with things, they can trust you, building those bonds. So it, it was definitely a learning curve, <laughs> figuring out where do I fit in in these spaces? And um, as opposed to, I didn't get to really work with a lot of women's teams until kind of the end of my second year, I got in more with um, I worked with the softball program. I worked um, with some female track athletes. And once I was working with those female track athletes, I was like, wait a second, I need to like shift gears again. Like I was so used to being in these female environments 
And for like this year and a half, I've just solely been like in wrestling rooms on football fields. So figuring out where do those shifts come and how do you portray yourself to people? I would say for the men's teams, I found the best way to relate to them is to just be there. Um, for me, I don't know if you've ever been in a wrestling room. They're very hot. They're very sweaty. They don't smell great. Um, but I really went out of my way to be like, all right, I'm going to be here. I'm going to be at practice. I'm going to be with them. And I found a lot of times that was just the most effective method, just being around, just being there and showing them like, hey, I really care about what you're doing. Um, whenever there's a free moment, asking them, obviously I'm not a wrestling expert, being like, hey, I noticed you were working on this. Can you kind of explain that to me? I would say for the guys, it's just really showing them like, I care about what you're doing and I really want to learn more about it. And um, kind of something that we went by that I learned at Springfield is like the athlete is the expert on themselves. So let them be the expert and really teach you about themselves. And I found that was the most effective method for me with the guys. Whereas with the women, I would say my approach was much more myself if that makes sense. Not that I wasn't being myself with the guys, but I found it much more easier to relate to the women. I could just kind of like be my authentic self. I grew up around sports. I kind of know how women's sports works. Um, so I would say it was just much more of me feeling less like I had to like present a certain thing and just being more comfortable and like, this is who I am and letting them relate to me on that level. Schaefer said that towing the line between coach and counselor became blurred when she first entered the athlete's personal bubbles. A more traditional sports psychology program, like you were seen as a coach. So like you're kind of in there, you're talking about things, at least in my experience, what I've seen. Whereas with athletic counseling, in my head, I wasn't a coach, I was their counselor. So figuring out what is and is not appropriate as a counselor so I would check in with my athletes that I met with individually and being, I would be like, hey, I'm going to go to practice today. Is that comfortable for you? Do you want to talk to me? If you don't want to talk to me at practice, that's okay. Um, any athlete I met with individually, we would go through an informed consent form and I'd be like, okay, like this is a small campus. You're going to see me around. If you don't want to talk to me, I will not be offended. Like I'm gonna kind of gauge how you feel about that. So I would say with um, the men, it was a lot more of me kind of like just checking in and being like, is this comfortable for you? How is this going? Is there anything you want to be changed? And um, in the practice environments, especially, the more I went, the more comfortable I was. But there was that first like month where I would just kind of like stand in the corner in the wrestling room and be like, oh, I don't know what I'm doing here. <laughs> like, I don't know if they want me here. Um, and it was really talking with coaches too and being like, where should I be? Like, like, what should I be doing? What do you want? So I would think, I would say for me, the biggest thing was just communicating with people and being like, this is what I'm doing right now. Is this working? Do you want me to change it? And I think that for me has been the best approach. And whenever you know somebody wants you to be somewhere or wants you to be doing a certain thing, you're more confident in what you're doing. With athletic counseling, we, I talk to you about every aspect of your life. 
I have a specific emphasis on athletics and how these kinds of things, family, friends, school, filter into your athletics and kind of play into your identity as an athlete. Whereas um, with traditional therapy, it's more you as a whole person. And obviously I'm interested in you as a whole person, but kind of this thread of like, you're, you as a whole person threading the athlete through all of that. Um, with athletic counseling, I don't, I don't diagnose anybody. And um, once it gets super clinical, I would have to refer somebody else in. Um, so we can kind of talk about like performance anxiety, but once it kind of gets to the point where I'm like, okay, this is, this is something you should talk to a licensed counselor about. You kind of like refer somebody in and being like, hey, we're gonna bring somebody from the counseling center in and you can still talk to me about this but I just want you to know this person's here too. And this person can kind of give you more specific help for kind of the mental aspect of it. So I'm ultimately more interested and more focused on the performance and how all these aspects of your life play into your performance. Whereas a traditional therapist is more just focused on kind of the mental health aspect and how that plays into all of the aspects of your life. Schaefer worked with both men's gymnastics and wrestling, both sports notorious for disordered eating. But she says that the athletes she worked with rarely presented those issues. Schaefer also noted that time management was more of a presenting concern that then potentially manifested in unhealthy weight gain and loss. She also saw focus and anxiety become prevalent in the student-athlete sphere. She found that working through the broad topics in front of a full team helped her conceptualize how individuals processed help-seeking behaviors differently. Every team I worked with, we would do like whole team workshops. So we would work with them. If we would kind of take assessments from the coaches, from the athletes, being like, what are the big mental skills that you want to work on? And I would say that's where the majority of like my mental skills work came in was on um, those big group things. So we're working on focus, we're working on handling pressure. Whereas um, I would meet with several athletes once a week, once every couple weeks. And that was where more of the one-on-one -on -one individualized work came in. And with, I did that with every sport that I worked with, um, both Springfield teams and non-Springfield teams. And um, once COVID came around all on Zoom, which was definitely something interesting to navigate, but I would say the Springfield program gave me an insane amount of applied clinical work. Um, for CMPC, you need like 400 hours of applied work and it is uncommon to leave the Springfield program not having all 400 hours. So say we're doing a meditation workshop. Some people just don't like to meditate and that's okay. But kind of giving people these options and kind of being like, all right, these are the skills that are at your disposal. And then once you get on that individualized level, being like, hey, did that work for you? No, nope. okay, here's something else we can try. And kind of giving them these options. So I would say I really liked to utilize the group environment to kind of just like introduce them to ideas. And then at the end, giving like the plug, being like, hey, if that interested you, if that worked for you, if that didn't work for you, 
talk to your athletic counselor. They can give you more ideas. They can help you fine tune this skill. Um, so that's kind of the way that I really liked to approach it because it's really, really hard to be specific to an athlete in a group setting. So kind of being general, introducing the ideas and then kind of lasering in on it when you're with a person one-on-one. -on -one. The hands-on work she did with athletes allowed her to watch emotional and mental breakthroughs in real time. She says the moments like an athlete returning the next session with glowing reviews of his or her mental skill implementation are what light her up. Without being specific, there was an athlete I worked with um, my entire time at Springfield. And I remember we had had a session and I personally was like, I don't know if like what, I, what we're talking about is working, if what we're doing is beneficial. And um, I feel like every person kind of has those moments where it's like, oh, like, am I even helping this person? Like, you just want to help so badly. And um, if they're not giving you a lot, it's kind of hard to know. Um, so we had had a session and they had emailed me after their competition. They were like, I just want you to know that like what we talked about really helped. They really tried to apply it and they did really well, like the best they had done all season. And I was just like, you couldn't tell me anything that day. I was like, this is the best day of my life. Like, I really feel like I helped this person. Um, and I always think the hardest part of counseling, like having these counseling type relationships is once you move on, you like don't get to know how it goes. You're kind of just like, it's the ultimate cliffhanger. So my last session with this athlete, I was like, I just want you to know, like, I really feel like you made me a better counselor. Like you really made an impact on my life and you helped me learn so much. And they had like given me the same sentiment. They're like, I don't know how I would have blah, blah, blah. And it was, it was the best. And I adore this person. <laughs> and um, it just is really exciting. Anytime I'm like feeling down, I'm like, remember that email, like that really helps. But anytime an athlete kind of like gives you that feedback or I would check in a lot. I'd be like, hey, is what we're doing working? Like, is this helping you? Because I, I'd made it no secret. I was like, I'm a student, I'm learning. Like, let's learn together. I wanna help you. But if what we're doing isn't helping, tell me. So kind of those check-in moments were always really helpful for me and just hearing their feedback. And if it was positive, awesome. And if they were like, actually, I really would like to start focusing on this more. That made me feel really good too. So I was like, they were comfortable enough to tell me that. So that sure. any kind of like reception from an athlete always made me feel really excited. When the athletes come back and tell her about their positive mental progression, Schaefer says that it's a testament to the increase in vulnerable mental health conversations being had at a national level. She's optimistic about the trajectory of the industry and every athlete who stands up for his or her mental well-being continues to carve the path that makes Schaefer's work worthwhile. I think it's it's really exciting for me to see that mental health is being made a priority and people are recognizing not only like the value in it but like the true importance it has like your mental is just as important as your physical. And I think like one of the most perfect examples was that of, was Simone Biles during the Olympics. Like if your mental is not there, 
your physical might not be there either. Like they go hand in hand and they're so important and so crucial. And I think it's so exciting that nearly every professional sports team has this in some capacity. Many like major colleges, universities have this. And what I would hope to see is it starts to trickle down even further. So high schoolers are kind of getting this priority on their mental health because I think the earlier you start teaching people about this, the earlier you can kind of make little kids in rec leagues aware like, hey, this is important. And just like you can work out your muscles, you can work out your physical skills, like these mental skills, if you learn them early on, you keep practicing them, you keep building on them, it's just gonna make you so much better. And it's going to put you in a lot healthier space. And I think that that's where I would really hope to see this go is just continue to trickle down and just like, strength and conditioning is so crucial and so important for athletes. I would like for mental health, for mental conditioning to kind of have that hand in hand aspect. One of the most difficult parts of Schaefer's consultations with student athletes is redirecting their life course post-sport. Obviously this conversation happens to every student athlete at some point in their career, but Schaefer finds that unweaving their identity as an athlete takes more persistence than she anticipated. So like the miracle question is a really common question um, in therapy. It's like, if you could like wave a magic wand in your life, it would be exactly how you wanted it to be. What would that look like? And then once you have that image of like, this is what I want my life to look like. It's like, okay, how do we get you there? Like, what can, what can we work on? That's going to help you get to that point. Or, um, a lot of the times I would talk to athletes about like, okay, other than a gymnast, other than a football player, like, who are you? What are you? Like, talk to me about you, like describe yourself. And I feel like that's such a hard question to answer. How many times have you been somewhere and they're like, oh, tell me about yourself. And you immediately just go like, this is my job. This is where I went to school. This is all these kinds of things. And I'm like, okay, that's a start. But like, let's break it down further. Like, what do you like to do? What interests you? So kind of making them aware that like, you're not just a football player. You're not just a soccer player. So having them identify those different parts of themselves and identify where do you want to be? Like, what does your dream life look like? And how can we help you get there? Athletic identity is interwoven with the very fibers of athletic participation, and Schaefer is well-versed in working through those associations for athletes exiting their sports. It depends on the person, truly. There are a lot of people that they were the star athlete on their team, but they're not, they're not pursuing a professional career. So now they're like, one, they have these giant chunks of time where they normally would have been at practice with their team, working out, all these different kinds of things. So figuring, helping athletes figure out like, okay, you're gonna have like a lack of a routine now. Like, how do you wanna fill your time? Like, that's a really big thing that people don't think about is like, oh, like, I don't know how to work out on my own. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm used to having all of these people just give me workouts and tell me what to do. 
Um, so helping athletes kind of figure out how are you going to fill your time now? Like you want to work out. Awesome. Like, let's keep that going. That makes you happy. That's part of your life. How are you going to do it? Are you going to join a class? Are you fine doing it on your own? And I would say a lot of the times too, athletes are so like in, like in the culture of being an athlete that once they're out of their sport, they're like, oh, like I, I always hung out with the team. Like now, what am I going to do? So kind of helping them figuring out, figure out how do you continue to foster relationships that are so crucial to your development as a human in your life? How do you continue to kind of build on that when you don't have practice to rely on, when you don't have games to rely on? She focuses on her consulting work with younger athletes in much the same ways. She recently concluded a summer internship at IMG Academy in Bradenton, Florida, doing mental conditioning work. I had spoken with Dr. Amber Selking. She works with Notre Dame football. And I had, like the same way I reached out to Dr. Fader, I just emailed her. <laughs> I was like, hey, you do what I want to do. Can we talk on the phone? Um, and I kind of really sold that, like, I worked for Notre Dame and I went to St. Mary's. Um, so Notre Dame and St. Mary's are sister schools. So I think that really helped maybe get her attention a little bit more. And I had a long phone call with her and she had worked at IMG. She had done the same exact internship. And she was like, I really think you should apply for this internship. Um, it'd be really beneficial. I think you would learn a lot. Um, so I kind of searched for it. Um, it's like posted on LinkedIn. I forget how I like actually found the application, but it was kind of like an outside of Springfield thing um, something that I applied for. The caveat though, was that the athletes she worked with in Florida were a significantly younger age demographic, and they were trying to find a collegiate home, not preparing to leave their own. Those breakthroughs with the younger clients were some of her favorites. Again, like such an exciting day. Like I'll probably never forget this. I was talking to a group of basketball athletes. They were, I think they were 17 because the athlete that I spoke to after the session was looking at colleges. And I was talking to them about confidence and the way, like this, the skill that I was teaching with confidence was self-talk. And I always like to throw out the statistic that you have on average 60 to 80,000 thoughts a day. And then I would ask them, how many of those thoughts do you think you were truly aware of? Like how many of them are you like, yep, I got that one. That's a thought that I was aware of. And the answer is usually not 60 to 80,000. <laughs> um, so then we kind of talked about how you a lot of the times have thoughts that you're not aware of, but are unhelpful to you and are unhelpful to your confidence. So kind of the message I was trying to deliver was you have to be aware of what you're saying to yourself. And that's the first step to like improving your self-talk or improving your confidence is just like that awareness level of, all right, like this is how I'm feeling when I'm not playing well, or this is what I'm saying to myself when I don't feel super confident. So. I was really trying to like drive home that message of like, you have to be aware of what you're saying to yourself. And after the session, an athlete came up to me and he was like, how many times a day do you do this? And I was like, um, like three or four, five, I'm like, not sure. 
Um, and he said, I always thought that I wanted to go into finance in college, but I think I want to do sports psychology now. Like this was really interesting. And I was like, oh, really? Um, so that was really exciting for me. And then he was like, where did you go to school? Like, what did you do? How do I do this? And then he had kind of told me, he was like, it sounds really silly, but whenever you said to be aware of your thoughts, like I've, I've never thought about that. He was like, it makes sense, but that's just like not something I've ever considered. He was like, I'm going to do that. That sounds helpful. And just the fact that he was like interested <laughs> enough to talk to me because obviously I'm always like, if you have any questions, let me know. But they're like, mm, we have to go to lunch. Like we're, <laughs> we're good. Um, but I was just so exciting that he was like, yeah, like I liked this. I think this is helpful. And I, ho I hope he majors in sports psychology now. Schaefer says that the life stage difference changed her entire approach during the course of her internship with IMG. Yes. <laughs> um, so I worked at Springfield. I worked largely with the college students. I had a few different sites that I worked with children, but 90% of the time I was with college students. At IMG, I was working with kids ages 8 to 18. When I would, and I would say the majority of the kids were probably in like the 10 to 14 range. Um, so that was really, really different for me. And um, I would say the number one thing that like posed itself as a challenge for me specifically was just like classroom management and kind of being like, okay, how do I, how do I make this engaging? How do I make this interesting for them? Because it's way easier to get a 20 year old to listen to you than it is to get a 10 year old to listen to you. Um, and it's kind of humbling too. Cause if, if they think what you're saying is boring, like they're gonna let you know that what you're saying is boring. So you kind of had to figure out ways like, how do I make this entertaining? How do I make it fun? And how do I teach them something? But like fun being the number one thing. Cause if it's not fun, they don't care. <laughs> When working with nearly a decade younger population, Schaefer chunked her lesson plans to make comprehension simpler. So we'll say we were talking about focus this week. And for one hour a day for the whole week, you would work with this group on focus and all the different aspects of focus. Um, and they would hopefully leave with a lot of skills that they could start trying out. And then your other sessions would be like what we called core sessions. So every camper, because I worked with the camps specifically, every camper would get one core session per week. And that was also on like a three week rotation. So we did handling pressure. We did motivation and goal setting. And we, I forget the third one now, but so we would work specifically on one um, topic with them and kind of do like a one and done an overview introduction, like, hey, this is what this is. Here's one skill, like one tangible skill that you can take home and start practicing. And, um, but kind of just like give them the idea, like this is just scratching the surface. Like there's so many different things you can do with it. So the typical day, I would see a lot of kids do like four sessions. And if you're not like actively doing a session, you're either preparing for the session because um, it was either like a PowerPoint presentation and I always tried to add like a little activity during 
the PowerPoint presentation because like I said, fun is like the number one thing. How can I keep them engaged? Um, or if it was an outdoor session, you were doing kind of all activities with them. So you were either preparing for a session or you were like bouncing ideas off of people. Um, because we were on a three week rotation for curriculum, you would be doing the same thing every third week, but you'd be like, okay, how can I like do this a little bit differently? Or this didn't really go great last time. How can I change it? Like, how can I make it better? Um, so I would say it was a really fun environment to be creative in and kind of figure things out because like I said earlier, the way you're going to deliver information to a group of 10 year olds is not going to be the same way that you try to deliver information to a group of 18 year olds. So kind of like knowing their age groups was really beneficial too and being like, okay, like I think that if I did this with this group, they would really like that or this with this one, like maybe steer clear of that. It significantly helped her process though, that so many of the athletes she worked with at IMG were well accustomed to speaking candidly about their mental health. It's a trend that's been altered by the dialogue surrounding, quote, being okay. Schaefer says that the increased conversations surrounding mental health, coupled with the rapid growth of athlete mental health resources, not only helps the future of her profession, but also the world and future into which youth athletes are growing. And with that, that's the end of episode 37 of Closer Mentality. As always, I'm your host, Julia Mellant. Thanks so much for tuning in. If you're interested in Katie's women in sports research or want to follow her PhD journey, you can find her on Instagram at katieelizshafe. If you have a story that you'd like to tell on this podcast, send us a DM on Instagram at closermental. And if you want to listen to Katie and I's full interview, the link to the Closer Mentality Uncensored YouTube is in the show notes. And with that said, see you next week. Thank you.